Our uh, scripture reading this morning is taken from Exodus chapter 20. I'm going to be reading from uh, verses 1 through 11. You can read, follow along in your Bibles in the bulletin or up on the screen as well. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments." You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your presence here this morning, for the way you uh, speak to our hearts in such powerful ways, through song, through readings, through all the elements of worship. Now we pray Uh, that you would speak to us through your word, because we need to hear your voice. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, If you have uh, been with us this summer, uh, you'll know that we have been uh, looking at the Ten Commandments, recorded for us two times in the in the Old Testament, you can find them in Exodus 20 and uh, Deuteronomy uh, chapter 5. But they are ten laws or ten commandments that were given by God to his people after they had been delivered from their enslavement. They had been enslaved by the Egyptian nation for hundreds and hundreds of years when God came and delivered them and rescued them. And then after they were delivered from their slavery, they received these commandments from God. And the the chronology or the timetable of that is really important. Because God didn't give them to his people as means for them to be saved. Israel didn't have to do these things in order for them to be freed from their enslavement. Instead, God gave it to them, gave them these commandments after he saved them. They were to be a grateful response to a salvation that had been experienced. And in many ways, the same is true for us today. The Ten Commandments are not a means for you and I to be saved before God. We are far too sinful to think that there's any way that we could earn our way back to God, that we could somehow merit his rescue by obedience to these commandments. But the Ten Commandments are a means for us to express a life that has been saved. Out of gratitude, we seek to conform our lives 
to God's desires. And that's what these commandments tell us all about. So the Ten Commandments are really an expression of our gratitude. But as we've seen, they're also a means for us to display our uniqueness. You see, the Ten Commandments, if followed, were to set Israel, God's people, apart as unique amongst all the other nations. And if they followed these commandments, they would look very different than all the other nations that were around them. And the same is true for you and I as well. If you are God's own, if you are God's child, then has your uniqueness caught other people's attention? Does your conduct, does your behavior, do your desires look different than those who are all around you? Do people sometimes pull you aside and remark at the fact that there is something different and unique about you? See, the Ten Commandments are intended to put our uniqueness on display for all of the world to see. And I think out of all the commandments that we've looked at thus far, and maybe the ones that we'll look at uh, as the summer goes on, this one in particular might make us the most unique, at least in our culture today. And whenever we think about this idea of the Sabbath or the fourth commandment, it is sometimes really hard to sift through all the noise about what people have meant by this throughout the the centuries. We often, when we think about Sunday or we think about the Sabbath, we often think about a list of things that we can do and things about what we can't do and what's allowed and, and what isn't allowed. We often think about maybe the inconvenience of blue laws or uh, the, the intrusion of, of, uh, of Little League schedules on Sunday mornings. We, we maybe think like, like I do about how why is it that we always seem to crave Chick-fil-A on Sundays, the very day in which they aren't open. And it includes, the Sabbath, whenever we talk about it, it includes all of these things, but it is often much deeper than we realize when we think about it. This morning what I'd like to do is look at the Sabbath as it was when it was originally given, uh, as it is really today after Christ has come and what he's done, and then look forward to what it will be at one point. So the first thing I'd like to look at is the Sabbath as it was, and we've talked about this a little bit already. When the book of Exodus opens up, God's people were enslaved to the Egyptian empire. And the Egyptian empire was ruled by these leaders called pharaohs. And they were often very ambitious men. And all they ever wanted to do is expand their kingdom, the glory of the Egyptian empire. So to do this, they would violently, in in many cases, they would violently exploit their slaves. They would take every shred of energy and productivity and ability they had in order to build the Egyptian kingdom and make it greater. And when the book of Exodus opens up, we realize that the Israelites, God's people, they were being worked to the bone. They were making bricks morning, noon, and night. There was no rest from this relentless, back-breaking work. And as Moses even comes and begins to engage in Pharaoh, uh, with Pharaoh, it even turns up the volume on the amount of work that God's people had to do in their enslavement. After they are freed, after God miraculously frees them in the exodus, they go out to the desert and they become hungry. So what does God do? He provides bread for them from heaven. 
And the only stipulation was, I'm going to provide bread for you six days out of the week. And on that sixth day, I want you to gather a double portion because on the seventh day, I want you to rest. Really, what God is doing is he's saying, look all the way back at creation. I spent six days making creation, and on the seventh day, I rest. So you follow my lead. You follow my pattern. And then later on, when when God's people come to Mount Sinai and God gives them these Ten Commandments, they come to the fourth commandment that says this, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You see, all the other nations were just like Pharaoh. They were just like the Egyptians. It was all about building, build, 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 work, 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 get ahead, always climb the ladder to greater status and strength and esteem. Be relentless and never give up. That was the narrative of all the other nations around Israel. But then God steps in and commands his people to rest, to take their foot off the gas, as it were, to, to rest, to do no work on one particular day. But the Sabbath was really beyond just one day in seven. There were, they were to have things called Sabbath years and uh, years of jubilee. In effect, their entire economy had to be informed by and built around this Sabbath principle. It was to be one of the most defining practices of God's people. And at the end of the day, it had to be a practice that required them to trust in God. Now, throughout history, as you read the Old Testament, there were times where God's people were really good. They were very faithful at keeping the Sabbath. And then, of course, there were times that they were very unfaithful at keeping the Sabbath. But then, many years later, uh, as Jesus came along, the practice of Sabbath keeping was still in full effect for God's people. But in many ways, the Spirit that was behind it had been lost. You see, the Jews had created all these additional system of laws around the Sabbath in order to prevent them from breaking that law, from working on the Sabbath. And Jesus, of course, didn't really feel obligated to follow all of those additional laws that the Jewish people had created. In fact, he regularly broke those additional laws, making him a very controversial figure whenever he broke those laws and drew the ire of the religious professionals of Jesus' day. In Matthew 12, Jesus does this very thing. He breaks some of those additional laws and creates a lot of controversy, resulting in him saying these words, I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you'd known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless, for the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. See, what Jesus is saying here is he's saying, I am the point. I'm the point of the Sabbath. Its meaning is rooted in me. I have come to change the way we think about this thing called the Sabbath. You see, Jesus is saying, I came to fulfill and to change the Sabbath from what it was into what it will now be. 
Colossians chapter 2 says that the old ways of thinking about the Sabbath are like a shadow. It says these are the shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. I think whenever we think about this, and we do this in a lot of parts in, in our lives, when we think about this, we tend to divide the physical from the spiritual. Uh, some have called it the, the kind of mind-body dualism. We don't think there's really any connection between those two things. But the Bible never does that. It always paints a picture of the fact that our physical bodies are intimately connected to our spiritual selves or our spirituality. So when God commands that we ought to physically rest, there is always a spiritual component that comes to that as well. You see, the Jews, they only wanted to focus on the physical, but Jesus called them to look deeper when it came to the Sabbath. We often think of work as physical exertion towards a certain end, but there is also a spiritual side to work that is pointed towards a spiritual exertion as well. You see, each one of us, whether we realize it or not, all of us bear the consequences and result of our sin. We've rebelled against God, we've, we've gone our own way, we've made a mess of things, we've fallen out of God's favor, and we've fallen into a state of condemnation. So in response to this spirituality, what do most people do, whether they realize it or not? Most people, when they fall into this spiritual reality, they go to work. Some go to work through religious means. I will, in some ways, earn my way back to God. I'll go to church. I'll say my prayers. I'll read my Bible every day. I'll give my money to the poor. I'll care about social justice. I'll help little little old ladies cross the street. I will make sure that my goodness outweighs my sin. I will work my way back to God. But that doesn't always work for us. Have you ever been at work at some point, you've been so stressed out, and you just feel like no matter how much you work each day, you're still just keeping yourselves afloat. You're still just trying to stay above all the responsibilities that you have. Well, this, in a sense, is what going to work through religious means does. It is never enough at the end of the day. We are never able to overcome. We are perpetually drowning, always swimming towards an island that we will never be able to reach. That is what trying to earn our way back to God through religious means does for us. It is never enough. Other people go to work in a different way. Other people go to work through cultural means. They decide that if I can't build my identity through religious ways, I'll build it through cultural ways. I'll work harder to be respected. I'll work harder to climb the corporate ladder. I'll work long hours and weekends in order to gain respect and reputation and credibility. I will work to buy bigger homes in the best neighborhoods and flashy cars 
I'll join the best country clubs and try to get involved in all the different social networks. I'll make sure my kids are in the best of schools and on the best of club teams and in every extracurricular activity. I'll make sure to keep up with my friends by Instagramming my latest adventure or getaway. I will acquire more things, build my bank account, gain my possessions. You see, the desires are endless, so the productivity needs to be endless because our desires wind up becoming urgent needs. In short, I do more in order to have more. But the work never stops because the satisfaction never comes. See, this is the way of Pharaoh. This is the way of our world now, and it leaves us restless. And Jesus, in the midst of all of it, comes to us and says, find your rest in me. In fact, I am the only source of true rest for your souls. So Jesus says, come to me and rest Release the burdens of trying to earn your identity through religious means or through culture means. Instead, receive my free gift of grace that you don't have to work for. All that is required is to feel your deep need of him and by faith receive his gift of grace. You see, in the gospel, you don't have to work for your identity. It is freely given. You become adopted, chosen by God. You have an inheritance that is secure, that can never be taken away. Nothing can separate you from the infinite love of God. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He is preparing a place for you that makes all earthly definitions of bliss and joy seem shallow. He promises to care for you and to provide for you. You don't have to work. You don't have to work for any of it. It is all yours in Jesus Christ. So in this way, every day becomes a Sabbath for God's people. Every day is resting in the gospel, reveling in the identity that we have in him. I read an article this week that said that the opposite of Sabbath is anxiety. That whenever we are captured by anxiety, we end up working. We are working when we should be resting. So does that mean that we can just in many ways spiritualize the Sabbath, right? That we can just make it about a a spiritual rest that we all experience. And it doesn't mean anything for us physically. After all, I could get a lot more things done on Sunday morning with a few extra hours. But remember that the physical and the spiritual are always linked with one another. So we need to practice an actual Sabbath in order to refresh our souls in a spiritual Sabbath. John Calvin called Sunday mornings uh, or Sunday morning Sabbath like getting up into a tower so that we can get away from all the noise that tends to capture our hearts and lives and look beautifully over the reality of this world as God sees it and the reality of the gospel. Isn't it interesting that God says to remember the Sabbath day? It's the only commandment where God uses the word remember. As I thought about it this week, I thought about this wedding ring that I wear on my, my finger. 
And whenever I look at this wedding ring, what do I do? I remember. It reminds me of a few things. One of the wisest things I ever did was put my wedding date in inside my ring. So if ever I'm curious when my anniversary is, I've got a little cheat sheet that I'm wearing all the time to remind me. But it's, that's not the only thing it reminds me of. It reminds me of, of the vows that I made to my spouse on that day. It reminds me that I exist for the sake of my wife and not vice versa. And I need those reminders because I tend to be a forgetful person. And we all need the same thing. We need regular habits, regular signposts that move us towards remembrance. And we remember the Sabbath by doing this very thing, by gathering as a community of faith in worship. We reflect on our great salvation that we have in Jesus. We, we gain God's perspective on the world. We see things through his eyes as he sees it. We're reminded of what Augustine said, that thou has made us for thyself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until it finds its rest in thee. You see, the Sabbath is a physical way to remind our spiritual hearts of the rest that we have in Jesus. It is the habit of our hearts that we need to remember. But I think the Sabbath has even another component because I think the Sabbath is also intended to be a display for the world that is watching. It's a display that you and I give time to rest and worship because we believe that it's important. We display that we're not going to be captured by the world's system of endless acquisition and achievement. We display that we're not going to let our lives be defined by multitasking and by work. Our lives instead are going to be defined by the spiritual rest that we have in Jesus. And when we practice this sort of physical Sabbath, we will get noticed. There's no question culturally that church attendance, gathering for worship, is down. It's not as seen to be as important as it once was. And there's also no question that the presence of cell phones and email makes work seem like it is omnipresent. So practicing a physical Sabbath is very hard culturally, and I think it's just going to get harder. There's no way around it. But what Eugene Peterson said I think is important. He said, if we do not regularly quit work for one day a week, we take ourselves far too seriously. You see, physical rest from the rat race will raise eyebrows. So practicing this physically is very important. But I also believe that practicing a spiritual rest will also get us noticed in our world as well. Displaying the fact that we will not be defined by incessant work and achievement is important. That our lives have to be built around something that is deeper. We will not let anxiety reign in our hearts. Instead, we will trust in the security found in a Savior who gave himself up for us. You see, when we start defining our identity in Christ... Rather than through societal work, we will stick out. We will be noticed. Our uniqueness will be on display 
for all the world to see. Walter Brueggemann uh, wrote a, a little book that I, that I read in an afternoon on, on uh, this idea of the Sabbath. And he says that practicing the Sabbath is practicing resistance. It is saying no to the culture of now. He writes this, it is enacting a counter-identity that refuses the mainstream identity. It is a bodily act of testimony to alternative and resistance to pervading values and assumptions behind those values, and it will get us noticed. So we've looked at the Sabbath as it was, as it is, and finally, really quickly, the Sabbath as it will be. See, right now, practicing the Sabbath is hard for all of us. It involves often really difficult choices. It often it presents situations where the right path isn't always the clearest. It means wrestling with anxiety and placing our trust in Jesus Christ. It means constantly placing physical and spiritual reminders in our lives that drown out the system of this world. But the good news is one day all of it will fade away. C.S. Lewis said that the bliss of heaven is so much greater than any earthly joy that we experience, that when we are birthed into that reality, it will be as if we will wake up from a very bad dream. And we will spend all of eternity resting in the arms of a God who has given himself for us. Resting in the arms of a God who loves us beyond all compare. We will sit down to the banquet table and we will feast for all eternity on the blessings that we have in Jesus. We get to taste that in part now. But one day we will experience it all in full. So friends, stop your striving Rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ and display that rest for all of the world to see. Let's pray.